Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. This is Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And tonight's guest is Luke Schmaltz. And Luke is a gentleman that I met at the grief conference up in Framingham about three or four weeks ago. And he's got some very interesting things that he does with Sad OD. And uh, we're going to welcome Luke. Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having me here today, Tony. Um, so, Luke... Yeah, uh, tell us your mission. Tell us where you started and how you got involved with Sad OD and the, the whole, the whole deal there. Well, I'm a, I'm a freelance writer, and for many years I was doing what I call the the seat of the pants freelance dance, where I'm I'm looking for I'm constantly looking for different writing projects, whether I'm editing a book for someone or writing marketing copy. Uh, I'm basically I was a word whore for many years, and I don't say that in in a negative sense, but I was pretty much trying to be all things to all people as a freelance writer does, because that's how you put food on the table. But I saw the ad for SADOD, which in that stands for support after death by overdose. That's what the SADOD acronym stands for. And I saw the kind of work they were doing, and um, it really jumped out at me, and I and I thought... You know, if I can use my my skills as a writer to, to actually make a positive impact and not just write marketing copy, that would be incredible. So I focused all of my inertia and all my intent on getting hired. So I made it very clear to them that I was their man because I was I was qualified to do this kind of outreach. And I think there were probably i don't know maybe a hundred or so applicants who knows how many they had i'm sure they had a lot because back then there were a lot of people who were still making a, a living as freelance writers uh, before ai came along and took a lot away most of those jobs i i know i'm pretty sure what got me the job was when i told them about my background in um with the catholic church I was raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in a parish called Our Lady of Fatima Parish. And um, I was an altar boy. And we can put two and two together here. And we know what happens to some altar boys who are rather unfortunate and end up in the presence of uh, bad people. And I was one of those altar boys. Um, the The worst thing you can imagine that could happen to an altar boy happened to me. And for many years, I struggled with that, uh, with that, that guilt, that shame, that anger, that really deep anger. And uh, when I met my future wife, I realized if I didn't take care of, if I didn't confront the problem, it can't really be taken care of, quote unquote. But if I didn't confront the problem and start working on it, I was going to sabotage the relationships. So I found an organization called SNAP. Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests is what it stands for. And in going to those 
group therapy sessions and those support sessions for years, I really learned how to listen to people and to, to have compassion and empathy rather than sympathy. And I'm pretty sure that that background in my work with the SNAP organization and my work with helping other people who are merging with their trauma <clears throat> is what got me the job with SADOD. That, and I can, I can write a sentence pretty proficiently as well. So that's the, uh, that's the long version or the, the medium version. <laughs> so I started working for Saturday in July of uh, 2021, I think. Yes, July of 2021. And I, I got hired as the news, newsletter editor. And the, what I do is I write stories for our monthly newsletter. It's called Voices, the newsletter is. And I write stories about uh, people who are grieving, uh, people who are in recovery, um, people who are peer grief allies who are out in the community helping others who are grieving, and uh, direct service providers, and also grief and recovery resources. Typically, typically I focus on people in Massachusetts or the surrounding area, but primarily in Massachusetts because that's where Saturday is based. But um, the the reason why we do the stories we do is because there's a lot of people out there who are grieving and a lot of people out there who are in recovery who are grieving, who are, who are just now learning how to deal with their emotions because they've been anesthetized for X amount of time because they've been uh, dealing with substance use disorder. So the reason why we tell the stories we do from these perspectives is to let people know out in the community, whether they're working in outreach or whether they have just lost a loved one and they're new to grief or whether they are dealing with long-term grief or complicated grief. They have multiple losses of people they care about. Um, so we write these stories to to let them know they're not alone, to let them know there's a, there's many different ways of coping with grief and by telling the stories of lots of different people in the newsletter we're letting people know that they can piece together their grief journey based on the experience of multiple people and find a little bit that works from here and a little bit that works from this person and a few things that work from that person and piece together how they're going to move forward so they don't get stuck in their grief because a lot of times that happens um, so we focus also on people who are grieving, uh, because of a substance use related loss, especially with, uh, the opiates, um, specifically with fentanyl, what's happening there. It's, you know, even the awareness is increasing, um, the, the deaths are still increasing, you know, it, it's, it's really an epidemic and, um, it's seen as a disease. So we're, we do a lot of work with people who are grieving because of a substance use loss. And that kind of grief is specifically difficult because it comes with a, with a stigma attached to it. Like if, you're, if your son or your, your child or your spouse or your friend or your parent or someone you care about close to you dies of a substance use related cause like an overdose um that society 
uh, shifts the focus on you and, and all of a sudden you're a bad person because you knew that person or you're a bad friend or you're a bad parent or you're a bad sibling because your person had a disease. So a, a lot of the, the people we support are dealing with the grief of losing someone they love and it, along with the stigma of being ostracized by their peers and their coworkers may it may not be overt but it's still there that stigma is is uh kind of buried but it's it's still there and it's people are starting to address it as uh as discrimination rather than stigma stigma i think they kind of mean the same thing but discrimination is a little bit more aggressive against stigma but either way um people who are grieving that the loss of a loved one to substance use are, are dealing with a, a an especially difficult type of grief so um the newsletter i write is is that encapsulates it in kind of a large nutshell and um we publish once a month i'll be publishing our monthly newsletter tomorrow and uh Anybody who wants to subscribe to it can just go to our website, sadod.org. So that's kind of what I do for, you know, for the, for the newsletter. And then there's other aspects of the work, but that's, that's my main role with sadod. And uh, I got to tell you, Tony, it's, it's one of the hardest jobs I've ever had. And it's by far the best job I've ever had because um, I really feel like I'm helping people go through get through the worst time of their life because the people i interview most of the people i i talk to are dealing with the fact that they lost someone they they love very much and they're dealing with the you know the worst thing that's ever happened to them and trying to figure out how to piece their lives together and the difference between this kind of journalism and what I was doing before, before I was primarily writing marketing copy and working for a local newspaper here in, in the beat I was covering was mainly um, city government. So when you're when you're speaking with people in government, as soon as they open their mouth, you know, they're not telling you the whole story. And that's that's <laughs> that's a generalization, but it also happens to be true. Most people I have encountered in government are full of it. But that's the people I speak with now writing these stories is the opposite because people who are grieving hold nothing back. And I, I don't have to dig for the truth and ask them the same questions rephrased five or six different ways to try to get them to give me something I can write about. Uh, in this uh, capacity that I'm working with now with Sato D, um, Grieving people are the most genuine, sincere people a journalist could ever ask to interview. And it's, you know, it's an honor and, and a privilege to to speak with with these folks that I'm, I'm writing stories about because they, a lot of them have told me, um, you know, this is the first time I've ever told my, my whole story beginning to end and someone actually listened the whole to the whole thing. You know, I, I schedule interviews for 30 minutes, but uh, most of them go for an hour at least. And that's fine. You know, there's no such thing as too much information. 
if, if you're a journalist. So I'll take everything they can give me. And um, I'm very fortunate to be working with and writing stories about people who are very generous with their stories and they, they need to unburden themselves. And I feel like, well, I know, not just feel like when I finish a story about somebody who's lost a loved one to substance use disorder, I really feel like it's person to person peer support, you know, and even though I'm just, I'm writing their story, I feel like it, it's, it really does support them in their grief journey to have someone listen and to write down their story with precision because what happens when when people are telling stories just like i'm telling the story of what i do i'm kind of jumping around in the timeline especially people who are grieving you know your your emotions are all over the place so people kind of start in the middle and then backtrack a little bit and then go to the present and so my job is to create a linear narrative from a starting point wherever that might be typically it's when they lost their loved one and then through the the worst part of the grief and the darkest times and kind of mucking their way through the mud and staggering through the fog of grief and trying to find their footing and then uh finding a way to deal with their grief and then and then where they are at the, at the present you know, dealing with long-term grief and then taking their pain and turning it around and and um, reaching out and helping other people who are suffering. So uh, I'm really fortunate to be telling these kinds of stories because it's made me a better journalist, a better writer, and, and a better listener and just a better person all around. Well, uh, Luke, <clears throat> I could say that um, you are a great writer. I've been reading your newsletter for well over a year now. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I read, I read every article, and um, some of the people you've interviewed are the people I've interviewed for the show. Okay, so yeah, well, I saw that. I was looking at some of your archives, and I saw that uh, there's some overlap there that we've talked to some of we, the same people. We we do similar work, except for you do a much better job of putting it on paper than I could. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, I resort to radio because um, I'm not that distinguished or not a writer by any means. Uh, <clears throat> when I I was going to ask you, how do you find, how, does, how do these people find you or how do you find them? Um, there's no formula for this. Uh, when I first started, I was really taking a lot of um, I, ideas of who to talk to from my, uh, my predecessor and my advising editor, Carrie Bickford. I know you interviewed Carrie um just a few weeks ago i think right before the the grief conference i did because she's um she's a grandmother raising grandchildren yes and she does that support work for uh grandparents raising grandchildren for that um department of sad od and she's doing a lot of really important work because there's a lot of grandparents raising grandchildren uh in in the area where she's at I think she's in the in the on the Cape, so in the in Boston area in the Cape. Um, the way we find people is is uh, it's there, there's a network. You know, Robin Houston Bean at the Sun Will Rise has a huge network, and a lot of 
people that she helps are people that we are kind of have access to because we have people that work for our organization and who also work with uh, the sun will rise. Um, so a lot of it is uh, I'll meet when I'm speaking with someone um, I'll meet other people through that conversation that they might mention. So it's, there's no formula, you know, we, we, we welcome anyone to uh, suggest story ideas. The, the specific area we want to focus on is people who are grieving the loss of a loved one to substance use disorder. It's a very specific part of grief. So the stories come to us sometimes through uh, suggestions via email and then a lot of um a lot of them come through our direct service providers who are out there kind of on the front lines you know working with people who are in the streets suffering and and giving doing harm reduction and outreach and uh recovery support and stuff like that so they, they come the stories come from a lot of different areas um but you know if anyone's listening who wants who has lost a loved one and especially to substance use disorder, you'd like to have your story told, please reach out to me because I would love to tell your story. Um, so. And did they, they, how do they reach you through the website or? Yeah. <clears throat> if, you, if you go to uh, sanod.org, um, there's, there's a, there's a, a contact field, a, a contact page. And you can send in an email, or if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can also um, send an email. If there's a newsletter at sadod.org is is an, another way you could send in a a story suggestion. So, of all the stories you've done. Can you just give the listeners an idea of one of the stories that might have really stuck out to you? Yeah. Wow. They're they're all <laughs> really intense. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know. I interviewed somebody um, just a, a few days ago. Well, I haven't finished that story yet, so I'm not going to do that one. But, okay. I was really floored by a, a story I wrote for the previous newsletter for October um, about a, a, a person who runs a podcast called As I Live in Grieve. And the name escapes me right now, but uh, I'm going to look it up real fast. <laughs> um, th that was really really impactful because this person had been dealing with grief uh, for a long time and they have really never properly uh, grieved the losses of uh, her husband and her father and her child. Uh, so when she started doing the, this as a live and grieve podcast, she was dealing with her own grief by talking with people, other people about their grief. So that that was a it was Kathy Gleason is the host of the As I Live in Grief podcast. So that was uh, that was a really good story because this is somebody who 
prior to starting the podcast a couple of years ago, they had experienced loss, but they had never really dealt with the grief. They they kind of avoided it. And I, Kathy's so courageous because she was, she decided to to go head first into the grief and and in doing so, by doing so, um, she's helping other people deal with their grief. So uh, I I thought that was really, really courageous. And a lot of the, these podcasts, I think she's got 150 episodes. So there's there's a lot of interesting people on there, uh, authors, uh, people working in outreach, you know, you name it. So that was a recent story that was really powerful. Um, man, there's so many of them. I've, I've done uh, quite a few, but uh, typically the stories that are the the hardest but the most impactful are stories about um, just ber- about bereaved people, about parents who've lost a kid. You know, those are those are really the ones that I think that is a, a an especially profound type of pain that you can't really convey to somebody else unless they've been through it. And I I don't know how they feel. But I do know that it is of utmost importance that I listen with 1,000% of my attention and I treat their story as the most important piece I will ever write so that I don't miss anything and that I I give as much respect um, to their story and to their the depth of their pain and how important it is to them um, to have their their loved one acknowledged. So the the, the ones the stories about parents who lost a child are are really the heaviest, and they're it's hard, but it's good hard. You know, it's not like a chore. It's like, well, I need to step up my capacity for dealing with difficult uh material and, and being delicate with people who are in in profound pain so yeah to be to be specific in general at the same time there you go <laughs> yeah no, you you're probably unaware of this but i am one of those parents i am aware of that tony and my heart goes out okay. to you I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about that you lost your son, man. I'm 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 really sorry to hear that, buddy. Um, yeah, that's how I you. get into this, and it's the last thing I thought I'd ever be doing. You know. Yeah. But, uh, well, do you? Uh, so I, I appreciate the way you write the articles. That's one of the reasons why I want you on the show, because well, I might that's what makes you a good journalist. I might flip this around and ask you for to be interviewed for a story. What do you think about that? I'm I'm up for it big time. Okay, so, that that'd be great to to write a to write your story. You know, um, we can the, switch from, jobs. No. Yeah, switch roles. You know, um, yeah. Well, whatever you want to, whenever you want to do that, I can press record over here, and we can just start right now if you want. I'm just kidding. No, no, it's okay. We got <laughs> get a little time to go here. 
Yeah, um, stay on stay so, on topic now, will you? <laughs> yeah. So one of the big topics is uh, in your. I, by the way, are you in ever been in recovery or anything like that yourself personally, or have you no. ever had a loss of a loved one? Yeah, I have. Um, that's another part of why I do this stuff is because I'm, I'm a musician. And as I mentioned in my background with the childhood trauma, um, most people, most people I know in music, not everybody, but the majority of the people I know in music suffered childhood trauma. And that's why we went to the music as teenagers and young adults, because it soothes that trauma, you know, whether it doesn't matter what genre you play. I think it's just the vibration of the sound waves. It just kind of, I don't know that for a fact, but that's how I feel. So I'm going to go with that, <laughs> but it, it soothes the trauma. So, um, since I'm an, uh, my trauma made me very, very angry. I gravitated towards punk rock. And uh, in in the rock and roll world, whether it's in especially heavy music, whether it's punk rock, hardcore, metal, um, any any of those genres, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who dealt with childhood trauma. And with that trauma, you know, even though we go to the music to soothe us, soothe us, the music is not enough. Um, for for a lot of my friends, it has not been enough. And a lot of my friends, um, specifically the guy who got me into music when I was 17, uh, going to punk rock shows in Albuquerque, New Mexico in the 1980s. <laughs> this guy was uh, a friend. He was older. I think he was out of high school by then. And he had a punk rock band. And he convinced me that I... I should be the front man for his band. And I could not sing. I was tone deaf. I was this wacky teenager and I wasn't afraid to get in front of people and make a fool of myself. But I needed some work. So I went to singing classes, to to music classes, learn to read music, learn how to, to, to find tone and to carry tone and to and learn how to sing. And I sang for this guy's, well, it became our punk rock band um, for about a year or so until, you know, we're scatterbrained teenagers and we can't really keep much together, especially back then. But I guess not much has changed. But the bug the bug had bitten me. The hook was deep and, it, and the hook sank in. The hook stuck with me. So uh, from there, I, I started, I taught myself to play guitar, and I've just been playing music for a long time. But the guy who got me into it, uh, he died of substance use-related uh, causes. October 4th of last year, I've got a guitar pick with his uh, birth date and death date. He was born on uh, February 8th, 1968, and died August 4th, 2022. His name was Ian Thomas Parks, and he uh, was a huge influence on me and my music and just convincing me that I could and should do music as a teenager. And that really changed the or gave my life a direction. You know, I, I knew I was going to be a writer from a young age, but I, I was 
afraid of the music because I just didn't think I could do it. But Ian convinced me otherwise. And so aside from Ian, in my community in Colorado, I've lost dozens of friends. Uh, some very close, some uh, just acquaintances, but especially during and after COVID, a lot of people um, got started using heavily and they don't, you know, they think they're getting one thing and they, you get something else, some, something laced with fentanyl. And the next thing you know, you know, we've lost another musician. So we, we've lost a staggering amount of of people in our music in our music community here where where I'm at and uh it's been it's been a rough one man so that that trauma well the trauma of losing someone and just just the grief you know I I although although I would prefer to have not experienced it it does help me relate to people that I'm speaking with when I'm writing about you know, what they have encountered and what they've experienced when I'm writing their story for the newsletter. So, you know, there's, there are, there are certain takeaways you can, you can farm from an experience that's negative. Uh, most of these experiences of losing someone, I'd rather just have not experienced it at all. But as we know, we, we can't choose that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I've lost quite a few people. To answer your question, <laughs> in a in the in a large nutshell, there that's the answer. I've lost uh, quite a few people. Okay, well, I figure that's how you can <clears throat> deal with this and relate. You know, I, I knew something had to be some connection that way. Um, when I saw you in Framingham, um, you sang a song. And yeah. you're going to give us the opportunity to hear this song, which is a first for my show. Um, but it was something about that song. It actually gave me goosebumps on my, on my oh, arms. Wow. I, yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's as soon cool, as I heard man. that, I said, this is this guy, I've got to get him on the show. So that's, that's how my motivation was to find you and make sure we could have this happen. Well, I'm um, glad you. How did you happen to write the song? I'm, I'm just curious how you came up with the words and, and all. Well, my best friend, he's he's a he's a tattooer here in Denver. His name is Jeff Cop. He works at a place called Little Black Church. And uh, about nine years ago, he was diagnosed with a very rare autoimmune disorder, and. He, he was having a really, really rough time because there was no, not a lot of information. There was a lot of, I don't knows coming from the medical um, establishment, the medical community, his, whatever doctors we might encounter, you know, everyone had a different opinion. He was really suffering. He was really sick and he, he needed somebody to help him out. And I was that guy, but he was also very independent. You know, he's, Typically a, a healthy young fella, but, you know, all of a sudden his, his health started to deteriorate and nobody knew why. And so we had a long road ahead of us of, of traveling to different medical hubs and going to different doctors and specialists and trying to figure out how he could not have a terrible life, how he could take care of his condition. 
Um, and he, you know, even though we're very close friends, he didn't want to be a burden on me. And in order to express that to, to him, that I was definitely down for the long haul. I was not going to leave him in the lurch and I was going to be there for him through thick and thin until we got this thing figured out so that he could try and have a, a, a good life and not be sick or just be left alone. So that was the inspiration for the song. And um, when I, I wrote it, I, I just decided to, I, I think I recorded it on my phone and sent it to him as a, just a little song file, just like, okay, I keep telling you I'm here for you, buddy. But <laughs> if this doesn't convince you to, to keep reaching out to me, nothing's nothing will. And I think, you know, I, he knew that I was, that was there for him and we, I was going to be there for the long haul, but that was just kind of kicked it into overdrive. It just made it irrefutable, so to speak. And uh, I, I just realized, you know, I'm not the only one in the position of caregiver who, who is willing to go that far for someone they love. And so I, I decided to, to put it in, into a song. You know, I write a, a lot of punk rock songs and a lot of, fu songs but i also have a different aspect of myself where i can i can be you know deeply sincere so i i, I guess i should be thankful to have the, have those very capacities you know Sh should i play this for you tony yes we definitely want to hear it so um so here's uh luke schmaltz going to play his song that he played this at the uh grief conference in framingham in front of 250 people that we're all in awe and motionless while they were listening. We're ready whenever you are. Cool, man. This song is called How Can I Help You? I can't fix poverty and I can't heal the sick and I can't stop the wars from raining on down thick. I can't stop evil people and I tried, believe me, you. All I can really do is reach out and help you. How can I help you? How can I ease your pain? How can I give you strength until yours comes back again? How can I help you? You know you don't have to fight alone. A little give and take in the pitch it makes can bring us both on home. I don't like the tide of fear rising up And I don't like the minds of the crooked and corrupt There's a selfish man inside me Whose leaving's overdue To make sure he don't come back I might take some help from you How can I help you? How can I ease your pain? can I give you strength until yours comes back again? How can I help you? You know you don't have to fight alone. A little give and take and the pitch it makes can bring us both on home. Well the seas are rising up and the sky is falling down and I can't make either stop. It's been a long time coming around. But when the times are tough 
who you lean on will be few. We can face this blaze through the end of days if you help me help you. How can I help you? How can I ease your pain? How can I give you strength until yours comes back again? How can I help you? You know you don't have to fight alone. A little give and take and the pitch it makes can bring us both on home. A little give and take and the pitch it makes can bring us both on home. Very good. Thank you, sir. Um, Best I could do on short notice. I'm a, I'm a punk rocker at heart, so I think that probably translates, even though, if, even if I try to be a choir boy, <laughs> yeah. pretty apparent in my background. But uh, thank you. I appreciate you uh, letting me play that. That's uh, that one. That song means a whole lot to me, man. Yeah. When you get a, um, a studio copy of it, we're going to put it on our website next to the podcast. Cool. So we'll. So people that want to hear it in, in its true form, the way it should be heard, that would, that would be good. Um, should I ask, is your friend, the tattoo man, did he make it? Yes, he's, uh, he's stabilized. He works, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's working at a tattoo shop in Denver now. So he, he still has health problems, but he is stabilized. So he doesn't have uh, these episodes on a regular basis that require me to come get him in the middle of the night and take him to the emergency room, although that was the case for quite a few years. So he's he's doing better now, which is, you know, fantastic because he's a extremely talented artist. He's incredible. He's, he does all my tattoo work and uh, hopefully more coming down the road, you know. So yeah, he, he he made it. So he he tells me that in these late night uh, trips to the emergency room that I saved his life a total of nine times, and I think he's exaggerating, <laughs> but and, uh, I was no I was not keeping count. <laughs> let's just keep let's put it that way. So I'm that sure you get a lot of free tattoos out of this deal. Well, I always tip, regardless. But okay. I don't want to abuse the pri the privilege. But I guess it, it it could be a thing. Yeah, yeah. He he will not take money from me for tattoos, and so I have to hide tips at his tattoo station under under his phone or in a book or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you going on the road again soon? No, I did two tier, two tours um, in August and October, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna do the winter touring thing. I've toured in winter before in what I call the freezing for a reason tours. I'm not doing that to myself this year, so I'm gonna be taking it easy until uh, April, and I'll be going out uh, with some friends. Uh, through the Midwest and the West Coast in, in April. Okay, and the I, West I Coast. A, yeah, it'll be I warm there. It won't be the freezing tour. It'll be the warm winter tour. Yeah. The uh, 
yearning for a burning tour. I think that's what I called my, my August tour last year, yearning for a burning. <laughs> I toured Texas in August, which was not the brightest idea. Oh, that was man. not, I will not repeat that choice. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, it was because it was, of the humidity and the hundred degrees. It, it's a, yeah, it, you know, the, the value of air conditioning in a car cannot be overstated. Let me just say that because without AC, I would have melted halfway through that trip. <laughs> the AC saved me, so that I was very thankful to have an air conditioning. It wasn't well, the kind of hot where you can just turn, roll down a window. And, and just kind of suffer through it. It was uh, don't don't go out during the daytime. Kind of hot. <laughs> yes, no, I get that. I've been. I was in Arizona two weeks ago playing baseball, and I know the week before it was 110 degrees every day. So wow, we we got it nice and cool. We were only playing in the 90s. It was wasn't too bad. But only when you get in the, the 90s, above the hundred. <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets a bit much, and um, I'm in Florida now. The temperature's only it's been like 80, but it's very humid. So, we, um, okay, we have. Would you take Would you take heat and humidity over uh, freezing cold? Which do you prefer? Um, I I like seasons. Okay. Variation. I like seasons, and uh, I like about the cold is I can walk inside the house and stay warm. Yeah, I, um, I'm not a big air conditioner guy. I um, I come into the hotel room, the first thing I do is shut off the air conditioner. Okay, it's it's just too cold for me. I prefer to just be 72 degrees is my ideal temperature. So, um, so do you have any future plans as a? I mean, you are a very good journalist and so I can see that you could write lots of different things you know, you, yeah you I've, I've written a, I wrote a novel um, I published a novel a couple of years ago and I'm working on a sequel um, the irony is I work in uh, I work supporting people who uh, are dealing with substance use disorder but I wrote a novel called The Belcher and it's about a a prolific beer drinker who uses supersonic belches to fight crime. Uh, it's heavily influenced by comic books, obviously, but it's it's a uh, it's it's in novel form. A lot of the uh, it's very cinematic on the imagery end of things. So I'm working on it. That one is uh, available on Amazon, and it's called The Belcher. And I'm working on a sequel to that one. And then um, I'm, I'm, I'm always in songwriting mode. I don't know how many hundreds of songs I've written, but I've written a very, very large amount of songs. So I'm always kind of listening for different ideas lyrically through conversations with people. If somebody says an interesting turn of phrase or if I have typically a song idea will either hit me in my sleep and I'll, I'll awaken with some kind of crazy idea that's not typical, but when it happens, those are the best ones. Or if I'm like driving down the street, eating a sandwich and trying to figure out where I'm going, then all this song idea will just fall in my lap and I'll have to pull over and jot it down. So um, I plan on doing um, 
another album with my punk rock band, King Rat. And we've done 10 studio albums and one live album. And we've been a band for 29 years. I started the band in 1994. And I've had only 14 members in 29 years, which is not a bad ratio. That's And only wow. three drummers. <laughs> only three drummers in the entire uh, life of the band, which is practically unheard of. So I feel pretty fortunate in that regard. So I'm writing another King Rat album, and I'm, I'm also doing a, I do a solo acoustic show or set or act, whatever you want to call it, called uh, Luke Schmaltz, Songer, Singwriter. And it's typically, it's uh, deliberately mispronounced so that it's apparent from the get-go that you're going to be getting uh, some... Uh, some satire and some cynicism with your experience. So I'm, I'm writing that album's written. I just have to record it because I've, I've got, uh, I've got as much unrecorded music as I do recorded music. It's a matter of picking and choosing what I'm going to go attempt in the studio and just coming up with a plan and going with it, you know? Is, um, is punk rock as popular as it was 15 years ago? No. It's been eclipsed by um, pop music again. You know, it, it, it oscillates between mainstream and underground. You know, I think most of the mainstream punk rock that people would consider punk rock, punk rock is just pop music, really. It's just, it's... Pop music uh, performers with tattoos and guitars, just, you know, disguised as punk rock, but it's really just pop music. And that's not for every punk band or every band that calls itself a punk band, but there are certain distinctions. Um, typically, when there, it's a pop band, um, Moonlighting as a punk band, most of their material is about... Uh, I love you, you don't love me, or you love me, I love you, or I love you, we broke up, and now we're back together, or I don't like you, and you were mean to me, like pretty simple, uh, hopeless romantic type tropes. And that's not necessarily bad, but uh, a real punk rock band, in my opinion, is going to tackle the tough things, not just like you looked at me sideways and now my feelings are hurt. That, that's not what we, we deal with. We deal with politics. We deal with um, corruption. We deal with trauma. We deal with uh, people who are deceptive and manipulative. We try to uh, confront these uh, issues that kind of slither along the underbelly of society and, and, and create um, derision and uh, disparities so there th those are the differences but to answer your question no it's not as popular as it was uh pop music is i think all eyes are on on the big pop stars right now and i don't have to give them any more attention than they already have so i'll spare you the mention of the names <laughs> okay very good uh now, you were in Austin, so would you say that does it shade more towards liberal people or does it shade more towards 
the conservative side? How do you? Um, Austin's liberal. Austin is uh, lopsidedly liberal, I would say. Um, yeah. And it's really strange because Texas is a red state. The rest yeah. of Texas is um, overtly conservative. You know, you, you will encounter that pretty much anywhere you go, maybe certain areas of Dallas or San Antonio, you might feel have a little bit more of a liberal sensibility. But Austin is an anomaly within a large ocean of red. So, yeah, Austin is, is definitely a, a liberal city. And it shows because of, well, there, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, there's a lot of wacky, artsy stuff going on. And then there's uh, just a lot of things in, in, the, inner, in the inner cities that are left-leaning. Um, you know, and we can we can specify those if you like, or we can. No, oh, that's uh, okay. We can be ambiguous uh, about that too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, actually, um, Luke. So, uh, tell the audience again how they sign up for the newsletter. If you go to sadod.org, that's S A D O D, right? S A D O D. The acronym stands for. Support after death by overdose. Um, there's a newsletter sign-up button on every page of the website. It's usually at the top right of the page. It's a purple button that says newsletter sign-up. And uh, you can, uh, yeah, sign up, sign up for that, and we'll you will receive our monthly newsletter, and uh, you can read about the, about the people that are dealing with grief and. If you're dealing with grief out there, this might help you find your way. Can you go um, backwards and see some of the last month or the month before? Yeah, if you go to um, the, the communications button, the drop-down menu says newsletter, blog or newsletter. So if you go to the saturday.org slash newsletter, or if you find the communications button and find newsletter in the drop-down menu on that, you can see all of our our archives starting in uh, April of 2020 was the first one we put out. And then um, the October newsletter is up there. And then November will be out tomorrow. We'll be publishing tomorrow about midday. And uh, I want to thank you for your time to do this for me. Yeah, you betcha. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Tony. I really appreciate it. And I would love to interview you for the newsletter. And that would be okay. a privilege to talk to you about your experience and your grief journey and what you've been through. I, I would really appreciate that. I'd be happy to do that with you. And this is uh, Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And you've been listening to Luke Schmoltz from Denver, Colorado, who is the chief editor. Is that how we say it? Yeah, well, the thank voice you very of the newsletter. Much. Thank, thanks, buddy. Thanks thank for you. working here. Appreciate it, man. Adios.